is an Odyssey original. Former President Trump in court. The latest from KNX News, 97.1 FM. And this is a very special edition of KNX In-Depth, the third arraignment of former President Donald Trump. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Former President Trump is in the federal courthouse right now in Washington, D.C. to answer to four counts in the government's January 6th case against him. And uh, Trump will be, uh, I think he's already been formally arrested, yes. processed, uh, fingerprints, the whole nine yards. Uh, widely expected the former president will plead not guilty to the charges at uh, any moment. And we are going to have uh, very extensive in-depth coverage throughout this hour on this and the other cases against Mr. Trump. With us for the entire hour in studio are Christine Adams and Matt Lasenye. Christine is a former federal prosecutor and now focuses on white-collar investigations. Matt is a political analyst and political science professor at Cal State Long Beach. Thank you both for being with us. And uh, just to give you a sense of what is actually happening now before we uh, talk to our guests, uh, as uh, Rob mentioned, uh, Mr. Trump did arrive at the federal courthouse in Washington a bit earlier than he was scheduled to, so things have been sort of moving along at an accelerated pace. He's been processed, fingerprints, that sort of thing, no photographs. Uh, There are no uh, cameras in the courtroom. It's a federal courthouse. But we understand from uh, pool reporters there and CBS reporters there that Mr. Trump is seated between uh, two attorneys. His seat is at the moment facing an empty jury box, which makes sense because this is an arraignment and not a trial. Uh, In terms of his attire, for those people who are fashion conscious, I suppose, uh, Mr. Trump is uh, decked out in a Navy suit and a red tie. He does have a very uh, long propensity for red ties. That seems to be his his, uh, favorite. Long uh, red ties. Yeah, long red ties. He's been doing that for, for many, many, many years. Uh, and he will, of course, appear before a magistrate judge, not the same judge who has been assigned to do the actual uh, trial. Um, and he is expected to enter a plea, presumably not guilty. That's what has happened in the other two cases that he has been indicted on in New York State and in the state of Florida. And then he will leave the courthouse much the same way he entered, which was very uh, secretively in many ways. Uh, although I think he is expected, at least we're told, He's expected at some point to talk to reporters. I don't know if that's been confirmed, but that is what is out there in the universe, so to speak. Um, Matt, let me let me uh, address this to you as a political analyst. You know, and this is the thing that has come up time and time again with uh, all of these cases. And I can say all because there are now three cases against Mr. Trump. There may be a fourth one in the state of Georgia. We don't know yet. But. So far, every time he has been indicted in New York State, in the state of Florida, we'll have to see what happens now, his poll ratings among Republicans go up, and they go up by an appreciable amount. Why do you think that is, and what does that say, not about Mr. Trump, but what does that say about a substantial portion of the American population? Indeed. Uh, That is an interesting note on the polling numbers and their response to these indictments. Um, My research area is on voter behavior and how people make decisions. I do a lot of surveying myself. And how I describe it is uh, it comes down to framing. People need a narrative to explain the events, to help them understand the events around them. And so what I'm getting at is one narrative is 
Uh, Trump is the victim. He's a martyr for us. And this whole thing is unjust, or as he likes to call it, a witch hunt. And, you know, recently NBC did a poll that found that about 60 percent of uh, GOP uh, voters buy that narrative. The counter narrative is crimes were committed and this is justice sort of playing itself out. You said something very interesting there. You, you said that many people may think of Mr. Trump as a martyr for them. Let me turn that around a little bit. Sure. Do you think that those people who are steadfastly supporting him believe in their heart of hearts that these indictments are not directed at Mr. Trump, but in effect, they're directed at them, that they are, in effect, the victims of what they would consider to be, whether you want to call it the deep state, uh, a corrupt state, uh, an unfair government, whatever. Yeah. uh, You know, I don't think every single one of them believes that. However, uh, when you survey the forgotten rural, you know, Midwestern-er, they tend to have a narrative built about the cities and that the cities are against them. And so this piggybacks onto that narrative. There may be people that literally think, you know, this is a, a, a trial to break up my political coalition. I think most of them see this as sort of a proxy for that long running sort of city educated folks versus rural folks. And even if it's murky how this layers on to that existing narrative, they're okay running with it. Christine, I want to go back to something that was said a little while ago. Uh, You were asked about uh, what if Trump sincerely believed the election was stolen? Is that a defense? And I'm certainly not an expert. Uh, You are. But the thing that strikes me about that defense is that there are things alleged in this indictment that have nothing to do with whether uh, uh, Donald Trump sincerely believed the election was stolen or not, in that even if you sincerely believe something that does not give you the right to commit a crime and that asking somebody else to do something illegal, uh, etc. I'm thinking of the case of the apocalypse mom who was recently uh, convicted of uh, she maybe sincerely believed her children were zombies. And so they had to die. That obviously is not an excuse for that crime. Uh, is there a case to be made that it doesn't matter if Trump sincerely believed it or not? He, there are still crimes here that can be charged. Uh, Absolutely. What he believes is only relevant as it affects his conduct and his actions. You know, in the case of the apocalypse mom you just referred to, it wasn't a crime for her to believe her children were zombies. It was a crime for her to murder her children based on that belief. So there are a lot of things, though, in this indictment that wouldn't necessarily be crimes unless Trump had the requisite intent Um, you have a number of overt acts alleged in furtherance of the conspiracy, and overt acts themselves don't have to be crimes. A number of the things that are alleged, however, um, that are the underlying crimes are are criminal conduct in and of itself. Uh, Let me just add some color to what's going on in Washington right now. As we've mentioned a number of times now, Mr. Trump is actually now in the courtroom. He has been in the courthouse for quite some time now. He's in the courtroom where he will eventually enter a plea before the magistrate magistrate judge. Uh, As we understand it, uh, the judge is not yet in the courtroom. But interestingly, uh, and of note here historically, is uh, Rob, remember the name Daniel Hodges? Yeah, he was the uh, D.C. police officer uh, who was crushed in a door by the rioters during the 
January 6th, the attack on the Capitol. He has apparently arrived at the courthouse for today's uh, hearing, I imagine as an observer, because there wouldn't be any testimony to give at, at an arraignment. But uh, he is, we understand, uh, at the uh, courthouse uh, right now. Um, Matt, let me ask you a, a uh, sort of a political question, I suppose. Um, it, it doesn't seem likely, although it's possible, that uh, at least this trial is going to happen because it's so complicated before the election. Possible, but not likely. The uh, other one in Florida was is scheduled for the 4th of May, I believe. There again, uh, it's, you know, I wouldn't bet on it if I was a betting man mm-hmm. that it'll actually happen on the 4th of, of May. What happens politically? And then, Christine, if you can take it from a legal point of view, politically, Matt, what happens if these trials are not in progress and people and Mr. Trump, which is possible, maybe likely, is uh, the Republican Party nominee and people pull the lever for him. What happens then? Uh, well, I mean, if he gets garners the most votes in states, you know, that carry the if, if he wins enough votes in the number of states to carry the Electoral College, he's elected. Um, I think, uh, you know, there isn't the, these are sort of separate political events. The election itself is apart from any one of these trials. And so they can happen, you know, sequentially right. or, or but my but, but my question, Matt, really is what happens to the fabric, if you will, mm. of this country's democracy if that situation, which apparently many, many uh, experts are saying is 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 very possible. What happens to the fabric of this democracy if that were to happen? Oof. Um I, it's not going to be good. Um, that is to say, I would imagine your your average informed voter is probably wringing their hands that this process didn't commence sooner, closer to the for this trial, closer to the insurrection itself. Um, so you know, I mean, I it's um, it's dark. my my thought goes to like that would be a really dark uh, consequence of the timing of all of this. And part of why the timing is so drug out is you can see that the Department of Justice is bending over backwards to accommodate, you know, hit the return of the files, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, participata- participation in the warrant procedures. They've really they've perhaps drugged their feet, but it seems that they've really accommodated him, unlike most uh, criminal defendants. Uh, so the short of it is, you know, just to wrap this up. Um, you know, how I read the indictment is sort of, you know, like if we don't make this to trial, uh, Jack Smith is laying out the ingredients that voters are going to need to help make a very informed decision because it will likely be in their hands before it's in a jury's hands. And, and Christine, to the the legal aspect of that, uh, I I think we have pointed out uh, ad nauseum that uh, even a convicted felon can be president of the United States uh, because there is no bar in the Constitution to that. Uh, Does that lead to the question that maybe at some point down the road, uh, perhaps the Constitution should be amended to add that restriction that a convicted felon cannot be president of the United States? That's that's a difficult question to answer. So much of this is unprecedented. Uh, I mean, I believe we've had someone run a presidential campaign from prison, but we've certainly never had someone serve as president while in prison. 
Um, and, and, and what if the charge, though, has to do with an insurrection? Because I believe there is a constitutional bar to that. If you've taken part in an insurrection, you cannot serve in government. Right. That is correct. And that is not a charge in this indictment. And probably uh, Jack Smith contemplated that and uh, did not want to fuel the further political weaponization of this indictment by bringing that charge. Former President Trump in court. The latest from KNX News, 97.1 FM. And you're listening to a special edition of KNX In-Depth. It is the third arraignment of former President Donald Trump. With Rob Archer, I'm Charles Feldman, and we're told that the magistrate judge has now entered the uh, courtroom. Mr. Trump had been there for a good 20 minutes. Mm. We're also told that he was sort of getting fidgety, fidgety which, waiting. Is, which is kind of, you know, he has a very short attention span, Mr. Yes. Trump. And uh, and not uh, not known as a patient person. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, we are continuing our coverage of former President Trump's arraignment in Washington on the four counts against him in the January 6th case. In studio with us, former federal prosecutor Christine Adams and Cal State Long Beach political analyst Matt Lasenia. Also joining us now is former United States Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez, who served under President George W. Bush. Welcome to all of you. Mr. Attorney General, let me direct this question, which is really a two-part question to you. Can our legal system handle this sort of thing? And when I say this sort of thing, uh, this unprecedented array of political, of, of, of criminal charges uh, against a former president of the United States. And then the second part of that question is, even if our legal system can handle it, can our political system handle it? Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, and the other guests. Um, let me just say that the short answer in my judgment is yes, the legal system can handle it. But but I would caution that um, a lot of the rhetoric that's out there about, particularly from President Trump and his supporters, um, in my judgment, is um, somewhat perilous. Um, in addition to being historic and unprecedented and momentous, this, these indictments, um, one might say that it, that um, all the rhetoric surrounding the indictment, I, I, I worry about the attacks uh, on the Department of Justice. Uh, obviously, criticism is sometimes justified, but the level of attacks against the Department of Justice and against the rule of law, quite frankly, uh, to me, is very, very troubling. Uh, it is one of the foundations, um, foundational pillars of our society and um uh, if people lose confidence in the Department of Justice and the rule of law, I, I, I'm very fearful about where that, that places us. Uh, and uh, I'm most worried about that. And uh, I think your second, I'm sorry, I'll go ahead and stop there. No, no, go ahead. You, you were going to answer the second part of the question, I think. Well, I wanted you to remind me what was the second well, it, part. It, it, well, the first part was, <laughs> was whether or not our legal system can handle it. And then the second part was our political uh, system. You kind of touched on both, I think, in your answer. But if you want to expand on it, go ahead. No, I, I think that, uh, um, I, I think we're sort of in a trap in the, in the way that our political system is set up with having two major political parties and how those political parties choose their nominee, quite frankly. Um, it limits, I think, a lot of talent from uh uh, becoming serious contenders for important offices in this country. Uh, I, I must also add that uh, uh, it's, you know, um, the higher up you go 
and the more difficult and controversial decisions you have to make, the more criticism you receive, even when you're right. Uh, and I've been there. I know how hard public service is and good people are discouraged from from pursuing it simply because the process of achieving the, these high public offices is so difficult. And then once you're there, uh, there's a little gratitude for making the sacrifices that you and your family make to serve other to serve the American public. And so um, there are some there are clearly, in my judgment, some uh, challenges in our political system, uh, whether it can survive this. We'll have to wait and see. I'm more confident about our legal system, but I am concerned about about the rule of law and the confidence. And I think we're going to lose in, in the minds of many people in the rule of law in this country. And Mr. Gonzalez, you touched on it briefly, talking about the rhetoric, and we've talked about can our political system handle it, can our legal system handle it, but there's also another system, I'm talking about the social system, and we've seen a rise, you mentioned the political rhetoric, we do have a, uh, one of the presidential candidates has talked of uh, slitting throats uh, when he gets back in. One assumes and one hopes that he means metaphorically, but we've also got some supporters of political candidates who talk about uh, openly and blithely, uh, I want to kill them all. Uh, and we see this kind of rhetoric and uh, calling for the current president, Mr. Joe Biden, to uh, not only be arrested, but uh, no mention of a trial, but to go right from arrest to execution. And I believe that was a politician uh, who called for that. So this is very dangerous talk. So our social system seems to be under more stress, I think, than our legal system would be. And, and as a person who dabbles in history, I know that our, our legal and judicial system remained in place during the Civil War, but we had a civil war. Can our social systems handle this? Well, I, I think you raise, you raise a very good point. Um, I, for quite some time, sort of ignored uh, some of the silliness, the silly talk that I heard from uh, primarily from supporters of Pres President Trump, but also there were other politicians in this country who had similar statements and but I've now concluded that it's too dangerous to to do that. Uh, I think we all have an obligation to call out and to stand up to that kind of rhetoric because I think we saw from January sixth that, that there are many people in this country who are going to react and are going to respond to those that kind of dangerous talk. And uh, so what it all means, you know, I think it takes a lot of responsible leadership in this country and uh, civility is is. It's something that's missing in our political discourse today, and and unfortunately, we're, we're we are hearing more and more the kind of um, talk that you just described, and I think that's that's very dangerous and very unfortunate. Without civility, um, we're, it's hard to reach compromise. We're not willing to compromise with someone that we have a distaste for, someone we don't trust, someone we don't respect. And that comes from having a dialogue and, and trying to have a genuine understanding of where the other side stands and why the other side believes that, that, uh, in the way that they do. And I think um, it is because we we don't have the kind of civility that, that once existed. We all have to remember that, you know, the people that got together that wrote the Constitution you had people from the northern northern United States, southern United States. They didn't always agree on, on everything. There's a lot of compromise. They came into the uh, creation of this country. Uh, people communicated with each other. They talked with each other. They made compromises. And that's what it takes today. But today, 
uh, compromise is viewed, I think, too often as a dirty word in Congress and in Washington, D.C., and I think that's very, very unfortunate. And it's one of the reasons why we find ourselves in the situation we're in today. Let me let me uh, give some quick color here of what's going on in the uh, courtroom. Uh, so the uh, magistrate judge has now finished reading the uh, charges uh, that uh, Mr. Trump now faces on this latest uh, federal indictment. Um, and uh, he has, of course, been sworn in. He took the oath. Uh, sort of a little note of humor here, apparently. He was asked uh, what his age is, and he is 77, but apparently rather than say 77, his response was 77. So I don't know what to make of that, but that's what he said. There you go. <laughs> 77. All right, our special uh, KNX uh, edition of uh, KNX In-Depth, the indictment and third arraignment of uh, Donald Trump continues on KNX. Former President Trump in court. The latest from KNX News, 97.1 FM. You're listening to a special edition of KNX In-Depth, the third arraignment to former President Donald Trump with Charles Feldman. I'm Rob Archer. And we're continuing our coverage of former President Trump's arraignment. The former president just pleading not guilty to the four counts against him. And uh, we have our special uh, in-studio guest today, Cal State Long Beach political science professor and uh, analyst Matt Lasigny, also former federal prosecutor Christine Adams, focusing on white-collar investigations, and the former attorney general of the United States, Alberto Gonzalez. And uh, Charles, I think you had one thing you wanted to ask him. Yes, uh, and and uh, uh, Mr. Attorney General, it's, it, you're unique in being able to, I think, answer this question. Uh, Mr. Trump and his supporters have argued from day one that you cannot separate the Department of Justice from the White House, that the Attorney General of the United States and therefore the Department of Justice uh, is in effect uh, run from the White House and that in the case of and cases against Mr. Trump, that these are nothing more than political vendettas uh, directed by the uh, current president of the United States aimed at trying to derail uh, the former president of the United States from becoming president of the United States again. Uh, You, sir, were the attorney general of the United States under uh, President George W. Bush. Can you tell the the listeners to this program which point of view is right? Uh, Is the Department of Justice nothing more than a vehicle through which the White House does what it wishes or is it truly independent? Well, it's neither one. It's it's certainly not uh, the former that that it's simply a vehicle for what the White House wants to do. The Attorney General is unique from every other cabinet secretary in that the Attorney General wears two hats. On the one hand, you're a cabinet member. Uh, you, the president campaigned and was elected on a set of law enforcement priorities and policies, and it's the job of the Attorney General to carry those out. And so you're part of the president's team. But you also wear a different hat. You are the you wear an independent prosecutor's hat, and there you conduct investigations and prosecutions independent of politics. No matter where where the evidence may take you, your job is to ensure that justice is is achieved. And so that's what makes the attorney general unique. Now, and for that reason, that with respect to investigations and prosecutions, you limit communications between the White House counsel, who represents the White House. And the deputy attorney general, generally, at least under the Bush administration, any communications 
relating in any way to an investigation or prosecution and only to get information about, you know, where things stand, if the department wants to give that information to the to the White House, is between the White House counsel and the deputy attorney general. But oftentimes there is no communication whatsoever. The, the, the attorney general and the department investigates cases, makes prosecution decisions without any kind of input, any kind of influence from the White House. And that's the way it's always been. And that, well, at least it, it, from my experience, and that's the way that it should be. We want the investigations, we want the prosecutions to be totally free from politics. That's the way we did it under George W. Bush. You know, I can't speak to how it was done under President Trump, but that's the way I think in most White Houses, most administrations, that was the interaction between the White House and the Department of Justice. Okay, thank you so much for being with us uh, today. That's former United States Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez. Uh, Matt, I wanted to ask you uh, something that that I thought was kind of interesting, but I want to get your take. Uh, the president's children, obviously, springing to his defense, uh, going on television, I think, uh, last night at some point or yesterday, and appalled, just appalled that we are talking about jailing political opponents in this country. Uh, how do you respond to that? Well, I mean, it's uh, those are words, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, that's my immediate is like said who like you're an unqualified and, and, and also but, given the history of the 2016 election, in which it was an entire campaign plank that uh, they were going to lock up Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I mean, that's like we're, we're asked to just forget that, really, right? And I mean, the, I mean, just the first thought that comes to mind is like Hunter Biden has really got no chance in the next election. And I'm <laughs> not going to be the president. Yeah, yeah, every time that stuff comes up, I'm like, well, who's he's not even running. What's the concern? And so to flip that around and say, you know, all of this this deluge of evidence exists to to inform these charges and that all of that is part of some conspiracy. And it's like, well, how did the stuff get in your house or how did the the coup get plotted? You know, the, the FBI wasn't in on that. So, by the way, once again, uh, the uh, news coming out of the uh, federal courthouse in Washington is at the arraignment. Mr. Trump is now pleaded not guilty to the four counts in the latest indictment against him. Prosecutors uh, are not seeking, not surprisingly, are not seeking his uh, detention as they did not in the uh, previous case in Florida and they didn't in the case in New York, which brings me to this question for Christine. So we have now uh, the New York case, two cases, federal cases in Florida, uh, maybe one in a racketeering case at that, a RICO case in the state of Georgia. As a former prosecutor, which one in your view is the most difficult from a, prosecutor, a prosecutor's point of view? And which one do you think is the easiest if there's such a thing? If there's such a thing, right. Yeah. Um, well, the classified documents case is very carefully laid out, but you do have the issue of the fact that you're dealing with classified information, and that introduces all kinds of procedural hurdles around what documents uh, does the government disclose to the defense, to the jury, and that may be made public and compromise our national security. Um, this case seems very 
simple in that regard in that the evidence is wide ranging. You're talking about evidence in seven states and Department of Justice and in the White House. Um, it's evidence based on recordings and documents and text messages. So from a point of view of proving it up, um, this case seems pretty simple. Of course, the issue is going to be the battle of the narratives. You know, as Matt has pointed out, uh, Trump supporters are going to paint him as a martyr and paint this as a political tool that's just being used to eliminate him from running in the election. And what Jack Smith has done is his this indictment reads like a Netflix series. Like it, the story is so compelling. He lays it out like this is this is the season two. So season one is the perpetration of all of the facts and what right. happened. And then season two is the investigation. And that's what's laid out in this indictment. So there is a story here to be told that is very compelling. There's even comic elements in it. Um, and then season three is the trial. So it just depends on who wins the battle of the narrative with the jury. Former president uh, just pleaded not guilty to the four counts against him in the January 6th case. Prosecutors have declined to seek detention. That means Trump can head back to New Jersey. That's where he flew in from earlier. Back with us are Cal State Long Beach political science professor and analyst Matt Lasenye and former federal prosecutor Christine Adams, who now focuses on white-collar investigations. And uh, by the way, the uh, federal magistrate has set uh, the next hearing date in this case for the 28th of August, 28th of uh, August. Uh, with us now uh, is Barack Laurie, lawyer, host of the Barack Laurie podcast and author of the Atheism Kills book series. And his latest book is Keeping the Kids All Right. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. So what is your take on what is by, I'm almost tired of saying historic, this, historic, that. Let's just say it's a given. It's historic. What's your take on it? Uh, really fascinating because, first of all, we have to take into account that these are just individuals that are pursuing these indictments, right? It's not as if it's some sort of uh, phenomenon or and uh, by a vast majority Barack, I'm going to, I'm going to, my apologies, I'm going to interrupt because we're having a lot of problems with the connection. So I'm going to ask our producer if we can uh, get you back on a much clearer line. Yeah. Uh, but in, in, in the meantime, yeah. I, I have a question for Matt. Uh, you know, we're talking about uh, Donald Trump's able to fundraise uh, off of these indictments. Uh, but I did uh, go back and check, and I don't have the figures in front of me, but I did notice that in the first indictment it raised an awful lot of money. In the second indictment, raised money, not quite as much. So there does uh, that does point to a trend of some fatigue among the donors with these arraignments. Do you think that will continue, or because this arraignment is also uh, sounds so much more serious that the that the donations will kick back up, or do you think at some point there's going to be fatigue setting in with uh, his uh, big money supporters? That's uh, a great question. I mean, I would say there's basically two types of donors. The the big money donors uh, maxed out on the first call. Uh, the folks that are chipping in 5, 10, 20 bucks haven't maxed out. That is, they haven't reached the contribution limits that tend to be about $5,000, and they won't. Uh, so on that first all call that he put out, the folks that were going to max out did. And so you saw those numbers sort of skyrocket. He can't go back to those donors again with the same campaign. He would have to go back with the super PAC. 
Uh, but I would expect, basically, as you described, Rob, the same trend. It's going to trickle down. Not to mention those low-dollar uh, donors aren't rich folks, and so they can't keep going in the well for this thing that they probably have some cognitive dissonance about. That is, is this guy, uh, is this a scam, or is he running for re-election, or am I just paying his lawyers? Christine, I want to go back to a question uh, that I threw at the former Attorney General, uh, Mr. Gonzalez, before, uh, about the perception that, that some people have, certainly many of Mr. Trump's supporters have, that Federal prosecutors do the bidding of the White House. You were a former federal prosecutor, right? That's correct, yes. Did, did you ever think of yourself as being uh, sort of merely a vessel into which whoever was in the White House at the time sort of poured in their their desires for a specific outcome? Never. And that was never the, – the, with the training we received, we were – it was inculcated from the very beginning that our job was to do justice. We were nonpartisan. We were to take the leads where we found them and pursue them and do whatever we thought was the just thing to do, whether it was to decline an investigation or to bring charges. That was always the case from the very beginning. And I was there 11 years. Uh, Christine, uh, the judge uh, warned Mr. Trump in this case that uh, anything he says, which would include social media, where uh, uh, Mr. Trump is quite voluminous in his comments, uh, it can and, and will be used against him in future proceedings. Uh, I, I don't think anybody thinks that's going to deter uh, Donald Trump from uh, speaking out. But in your view, is he sending out social media messages and saying things that are, are definitely going to get him in trouble? I haven't seen his latest social media messages, but I do agree that he seems to um, be a bit less restrained, and I suspect not always listening to the counsel of his lawyers in that regard. Um, and you're seeing in the indictment statements he made to the public that are being used against him as part of the charges in the indictment. Former President Trump has pleaded not guilty to the four counts against him in the uh, January 6th case. And a little color uh, briefly from what was going on in court. Uh, Besides pleading uh, not guilty to the charges, a date has been set for the uh, next hearing in this case. But he does not have to be there Mm. for that. It is going to be the uh, 28th of August. uh, The defense choosing one of three dates. They chose the uh, latest of the three offered to them. And the defense attorney is telling the magistrate judge that Mr. Trump might need more time to, uh, and I'm quoting now, get an understanding of the magnitude of discovery and the degree to which there is exculpatory evidence. That's coming out of the uh, uh, courthouse today. We're here in the studio with our two guests, former federal prosecutor and current L.A. attorney Christine Adams, also political analyst and uh, political science professor Matt Lasigny, and uh, Brock Lurie, lawyer, host of the Brock Lurie podcast, author of the Atheism Kills book series. His latest book is called Keeping the Kids uh, All Right. And Charles, I think uh, before we try to have a conversation with him in our uh, phone line, which is not working as well, you had a question for him. Yes. Uh, so, Brock, thanks for hanging in there with us. Uh, and, and the question really yeah. was simply, maybe not simply, uh, what your take is on all of this, because uh, there's very clearly uh, a division in this uh, country. I don't think it's 50-50, but there is division about the merits of all of these cases against Mr. Trump. Go ahead. I think that there is all the time. It's hard not to look at this as a piling on against the, the former president. And as such, I think that really may rub against the uh, fair 
Well, okay, I'm, yeah, we apologize, yeah. but but uh, we, we'll try before the end of this broadcast yeah. one more time, one more to, time. to get uh, Mr. Laurie uh, with us because we do value uh, his viewpoint yeah. on I, it. I, I gather he was saying that this feels like piling on of the uh, former president, which is part yeah. of uh, the the uh, Trump team's defense about this. This is a political witch hunt. Uh, these charges are just political grandstanding, try to keep him from being the yes, president right. again. But what we should do is is find out what cell company Mr. Laurie uses so that none <laughs> of us use, use that it one. Uh, <laughs> and switch to another cell company. Um, Matt, uh, let me let me throw this question uh, to you. Uh what do you tell your students uh, about what is going on now in the country? Oh, uh, well, uh, I think about that constantly. That is, uh, you know, how to reformat my class for the fall, right? I get to sit the summer out. Um, you know, I mean, this probably sounds a little bit like hokum since I said it earlier in the in the broadcast, but I try to, to depoliticize and, and take the partisanship out of it by using old sources like James Madison to talk about, you know, the the separation of powers and that nobody should be a judge in their own case. And, you know, factions and free speech are OK, um, but that there's the, the reason why we have professionals. I mean, this is a core part of my classes that the bureaucrats are the South for so many of our problems. That is, they're experts um, that are going to dutifully do their job without partisanship. Oh, very good. Uh, Barack, are you there with us now? I'm back. I, oh, I hope you can hear me. Yes, you sound That's much, much you sound better. Much better. Yes. Maybe you oh, took my advice. And, and, did you take my advice and get a new cell phone company? Yes, I, I, I totally switched everything around. It's all good. <laughs> good for you. Uh, all right, you were in the process of, of answering before we lost the connection. Uh, your view on uh, what is clearly a very divisive issue in this country. Go ahead. It's a, going on is what I was saying, and, and it, in terms of uh, fairness for the American people, I think they don't like that. It, it's not as if it's some sort of natural event, these indictments, right? I mean, we have to focus You know, I am I, I'm so sorry. We really yeah. we tried three times. We really wanted to hear uh, the the uh, kind of a different take on this. Uh, but you know what they say in in, in baseball, three strikes, you're out. <laughs> strikes, you're <laughs> and out. We, we tried well, this three I, times. And... I will say this. Yeah. Uh, the objective point must always be made as we talk about this indictment and the other indictments. An indictment is not a conviction. That's right. Uh, the indictment was not handed up by the president or any politician. It was handed up by a grand jury, which is made of citizens who look at the evidence and decide that uh, the charges were warranted enough to give uh, Mr. Trump a chance to answer these in court. Mr. Trump is presumed innocent until these charges are proven in court. Uh, Christine, do I have that right? You have that right. But having said all of that... It, it, do you think I'm sure that you've been watching and listening to various media about all of this? Do you think people are being honest about that? Um, you know, uh, when I watch different programs about uh, this indictment, the previous one, I do get the sense maybe, you know, except for Fox, uh, you know, I get the sense that everybody kind of gives this pro forma announcement like a disclaimer that, oh, you know, of course he's he's uh, uh, innocent until proven guilty and then go on at great length discussing it as if he were already found guilty. Do you get that sense at all? Or is that just me? That can be there. I think uh, probably a lot because 
people have been reading the newspapers for a long time before these indictments came down. We're reading about these events and form their opinions about these events long before these indictments came down. So these same facts that are allegations in the indictment, and we have to all agree are not yet proven um, to be true, are the same facts we were reading in newspapers um, before then and, and watching on the news and hearing all about. So many people already have their opinions about these facts. It kind of reminds me of the O.J. Simpson days. There were people who were just dead set convinced he was guilty and people mm-hmm. just as dead set convinced he was not guilty, uh, that he was being railroaded. So I think we get the sense of, as you said, Charles, it's not quite 50-50, but there is a sense of which it's hard for one side to account and acknowledge the other side equally set set of beliefs that Donald Trump is being uh, maligned and oppressed. And that, Matt, leads me to ask you this question as a political analyst. Uh, no matter what the outcome of these trials, guilty, not guilty, a mixed bag, guilty in one, not guilty in the other, how do you think this country can heal these wounds? And they are, I think, without doubt, wounds. Uh, well, you know, I'm actually going to go back to something that... Um Alberto Gonzalez said uh, earlier on the on the uh, program here, and that is uh, he lamented that politicians don't call out nonsense or they don't call out enough nonsense. And, you know, I'll try to unpack a couple things here. And that is, uh, you know, people are going to make their judgments about his guilt or innocence. But we're entitled a little bit to do that because we saw some of the crimes or related activity with our own eyes. And so this is a little different. It wasn't like he'd robbed a bodega and we weren't there. We got to see the the preamble as he set it up and then the and we understand the intent. So what I would say more specifically is the healing has to relate to it can't just be one party that is calling all this out. There needs to be politicians that turn and look at their crowds and say, I want to win, but not that way. All right, that's going to do it for our special edition of KNX In-Depth Today. Uh, For Charles Felbin, I'm Rob Archer. We will be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.